It is great to be with you all again as we continue our series, But God. Last week, Andy did an amazing job. And, uh, and man, I just, it's been so cool for me over the last couple of weeks um, just to hear what God is doing in the hearts of the people that are part of this church family. But even beyond this church family, it's amazing the stories of what Christians are doing even around the world, um, stepping up and showing love in tremendous ways. And this whole series really is about this idea that um, God loves to show off his love to people. He absolutely sh- loves to show off his love. And, and we are seeing that even now. I mean, what the enemy has meant for evil with the global suffering, the impact of all this, it is just creating this amazing space where believers are taking initiative and stepping up and offering a hand of hope. Man, oftentimes even in really dire situations. And I love that. And so in this whole series, But God, this idea that God steps in when everything seems like it's lost, we've walked through this. And we've only got a couple of weeks left, but I want to kind of walk walk you through where we are, where we were, and how we got here. So week number one, we talked about waiting well. What does it mean to wait well on God? And, and I know that many of us, I mean, even you right now watching this, you've gone through seasons where it's just, it's like life has hit pause, and you're waiting for God to act or move or do something, and then internal restlessness of just going, man, God, when are you going to move? When are you going to act? When are you going to step up and do something significant? How do you wait well? Week number two, the power and importance of your private life. Uh, what we see through the Bible often, some of the really great things that were done for God publicly were formed privately in the leader. And so, man, what does it mean to, to put together and form a really strong and powerful private life? That was week number two in the series. Week number three was, what if God doesn't work? What if God doesn't work the way you thought he was going to? Finally, an action takes place, but it didn't go the way you thought it would. The diagnosis didn't turn out the way you wished it would have. What if God doesn't work? How do you respond in that? Week number four, um, what what if you've already fully lost? You've been praying for your marriage to be healed and the divorce takes place and you're already, man, you're already post what feels like failure. How do you act in that season? And then the next week, uh, week number five, we talked about what if you are the one that caused the pain? Can there be a but God amazing intervention moment if you're the guilty one? You're the one that did the cheating. You're the one that got the person hurt. You're the one that said the harsh words. You're the one that brought the pain. Can there be a but God powerful intervention moment if you're the guilty person? And then last week, Andy brought the word talking about Mary's song, the last, the lost, the least. Sometimes, I mean, often God loves to do the most significant things, man, through just very average people. And this week, what we want to do is we want to talk about how God loves to take the current situation and it, from what we see, he loves to flip it upside down and present something significant. Um, and so I want to pray, man, as, as we learn to look at the world through God's eyes and oftentimes even just trusting in him, I believe that some of you right now are at those places where, man, when you are looking at the state of your current life, it looks like loss. It looks like a mess. You cannot see how God would, would fix it. I want to pray for those people because there are oftentimes beautiful moments where the whole thing just gets flipped upside down 
and you begin to see a beautiful work of God. We want to pray about that process of seeing it through God's eyes. Lord, I love you. I thank you so much for your grace. And as we go back in time and we enter into that, man, that moment where the Holy Spirit fell on your people, those that desperately needed a move from you, the power of the Holy Spirit to fall on a room, to fall on a people group. Lord Jesus, you changed the game when the Holy Spirit came and you are changing the game even here today. And I want to pray that today, as people are listening to this, that you would give them the capacity, Lord, open their eyes to begin to see where you might be changing the game, adding a new set of rules, changing the paradigm, changing the perspective. God, we ask by your grace that you would give us glimpses into the work that you are doing. In your name, amen. One of my favorites of the faith, I mean, this is kind of funny as I get a little bit older. Um, I just had my birthday the other day and I'm now 41 years old. And um, I'm getting old enough now that some of my heroes of the faith that I grew up with really admiring, they're beginning to pass on. And one of my heroes of the faith, Ravi Zacharias, man, in fact, I I got a, a picture of him here. This guy absolutely was a hero of mine. When I went through seasons of doubt where I was wrestling with what I believed and why I believed it, and him and his writings, I mean, my goodness, Jesus Among Other Gods in particular was a powerful book for me that just really helped me wrestle through big ideas in a good way. He absolutely was one that showed me that believers don't have to set aside knowledge and wisdom and insight and even science to pursue Christianity. So grateful for him. I remember in one interview in particular, I was listening to of his, and they were asking the question that's been asked even of me in my own office, right? So what people will do is, how can there be a good God? This was the question that was posed to him. How can there be a good God if there is pain and suffering in the world. So like if God is good and there is suffering, how can God be good, right? Like how do those go together? How can God be good and he allow pain and suffering? If he is all powerful and he really does have control, why would he allow his people to hurt so much? And as uh, Ravi sat back in his chair, he just had this really amazing way of not being thrown off, but not being antagonistic or harsh. He was just so patient, but you could see he was not at all lost in the question. And in his amazing way that he does it, he just kind of leaned forward and he goes, why are those the only three ingredients? He is all powerful, he is good, right? Like, or he is all powerful, he is good. Why do those have to equal that third idea, which is that you know, God can't be good if he's all powerful and he's good, then why would there be pain? That, that ingredient, why are those the only pieces to this? And in his powerful way, and he was so narrative driven, right? So instead of just like land in the plane, he drew people into his story. And he began to tell the story when he was a young man of uh, wanting to get into the Indian Air Force, the military, and sitting down, going through the process, the whole interview, and through this whole journey of wanting wanting to get into the military, the door was slammed in his face. And he shares how painful it was, that loss of having something he so desired, an opportunity right in front of him that he wanted to be a part of, a team that he wanted to be a part of, man, an honor that he wanted to hold. And it's like God just said, no, not for you. And as he shared the story, he began to add this other ingredient that God just isn't all powerful and he isn't loving only, he is also all knowing. 
And he said, I did not know that that slammed door was not God closing off my future. It was him aiming me for the right future. And he begins to share about his journey of of moving into the apologetic world and defending faith and what it means to be a passionate follower of God in an area that he maybe wasn't even that focused on until another door was closed. And so the pain that happened in his life wasn't God saying, I want to hurt you. It was God saying, I want to aim you. I don't want to hurt you. It's not primarily about your pain. It's about your aim. Where are you going? And I want to pause on that idea. And I just want to think through this, man, how God has this way. And it doesn't always happen right away. Oftentimes we face hardship and we can even sit in those difficult situations for years on end. But it doesn't mean that God isn't working. And he absolutely could still be using it in powerful ways. And today I want to talk about those moments. Because Ravi had that moment where all of a sudden what seemed like chaos and loss and difficulty and hardship and hurt. All of a sudden it's like God said, here's what I've been working on. Those beautiful moments where God goes, here's what I've been working on. Sometimes they happen in a month. Sometimes they happen in a week. Sometimes they happen in a year. Sometimes you don't see it for a long time, man. But God is at work and there are those moments where he goes, here, here's what I've been working on. You may not understand, in fact, if I could just say it clearly, it would be this. You may not understand the current chapter in your life. Why are you struggling with this? Why are you suffering? Why are you having this hardship? Why was that door closed? Why did you not get that job? Or why did you lose that job? Or why did you lose that income? Why are you in this? You may not yet understand the current chapter in your life, but you know how good, how understanding and loving the author of your story is. You may not understand the current chapter, but you absolutely know the nature of the author. You may not understand your current chapter, but you absolutely know the nature of the author. He is all good, and he is all loving, but he is also all knowing. And the ultimate end for you as a child of his is your greatest good. You may not understand your current chapter, but you absolutely can know the nature of the author. With this in mind, I want to go to our text today. I want to look at Acts Now, there is a greater story that is taking place in the book of Acts. I mean, when you think about these people leading up to the Acts 2 moment, the coming of the Holy Spirit falling on God's people, when you think about everything contextually that had led up to this crazy moment of the Holy Spirit coming on his people, I want you to remember the 400 years of silence. It's like God hasn't been speaking. From the people's perspective, it seems like all silence Nothing happening, but God was on the move. They just didn't see it. I also want you to think about all the loss. It's like the favor of God had been taken off the people. I want you to think about the seasons where they were removed from the temple. I mean, when people wanted to find God, wanted to know the will of God, they would go to the prophets. They would go to the temple. They would spend time with the Lord. All these different avenues had been cut off, cut off, cut off. These people knew what it was like to be hungry for God to move and passionately desire from a word or for a word from the Lord and to just have silence. The people knew that difficulty really well, right? And ultimately, Jesus shows up and it's like heaven has spoken again. God walks with man again. 
I mean, it has technically been since the Garden of Eden that God has come down and walked right next to humanity with them, having conversation with them, talking with them, guiding them, leading them, encouraging them. And then in the form of Jesus Christ, God is there present with them again, talking with them, leading them, having conversation with them, guiding them. Jesus is there again. And then what happens? I mean, their story has been one of having a severing from God Temples have been destroyed. They've been taken into slavery. The time of prophets changed, 400 years of silence, and now all of a sudden Jesus is gone too. I mean, I can only imagine what's going through their minds. It's like, God, are you ever going to meet with us or can we ever get to a place where you are, where we can stay present with you? Because every time we go to where you are, it feels like that moment comes to an end and we still end up a people without a place. We still end up a lost group. We still end up, man, individuals seeking guidance and counsel and wanting the presence of the Lord and not finding it in a way that we desire. They find themselves in that spot again. All lost all loss. I mean, when you think about it and the greater picture, it's easy to see why the disciples scatter, right? It's kind of easy to begin to see why they go back to fishing. It's easy to begin to see. That's their story. They briefly touch God and it feels like going to where he is is taken away. From their perspective, every time they connect with God, that connection is broken. From their perspective, every time they connect with God, it feels like that connection is broken. So with this in mind, I want to go to Acts 2, 1 through 4. Here we find the story beginning, right? The coming of the Holy Spirit. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven the sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there is so much in this text, and my prayer is over the next few moments, I can give some historical contextual power to what's taking place here. The first big idea. This is uh, from the Faith uh, Life Study Bible. They said it really well. It's a fire is often, fire is often used to describe God's holy presence and his ability to purify. So this is Exodus 3, 2, 13, 21, Mark 9, 49, 1 Peter 1, 7, etc., where fire is used to describe God's holy presence and his ability to purify. Now there's another really interesting thing. So the Spirit comes to them where they are. The next piece that's really interesting, um, Faith Life Study Bible, also points this out is the reference to tongues or languages indicates that this is a reveal of, or a reversal of the Tower of Babel where God confused the languages of those who rebelled against him. Now I want to point a couple things out. Up until this moment all through history if they wanted to have a word from the Lord they would go to a prophet or they would go to the temple. Right? I mean, even Jesus, think of it, with the woman at the well, they're talking about worship. What is worship? Where do we go? Do we go to the mountain? Where do we go to find the presence of God? Where do I go to get a word from the Lord? Where do I go? Man, because my heart is hungry for metaphysical answers, for purpose, for meaning. Why am I here? What is the answer to the deep hungers in my heart? Where do I go to find it? That has been the story of them all the way to the new covenant. And then all of a sudden in that moment, see, we take this for granted because we're living in the new covenant. But all of a sudden in that moment, the purifying righteous 
powerful move of God, the Holy Spirit, falls on the people. It goes to where they are, like Jesus incarnate coming to humanity. The Holy Spirit comes to the people where they are. And now instead of having to go to the temple, the powerful God, man, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, that that flame of fire right above their heads as it talks about in the text, it literally goes with them wherever they go. Now the temple resides in them and goes with them God with them, God with them, God with them. I mean, in that moment, all of what they thought it meant to go and find a word from the Lord, all of what they thought it meant to go to the temple and worship rightly, all, the whole story, the whole narrative, they've been cut off, right, gone through seasons through their history where they're cut off from the temple, seasons in their history where they're cut off, right, where the seasons of silence, where the prophets don't have a word, I mean, seasons of silence, right, I mean, they know what it's like to be drugged to another country, and all of a sudden in this moment, the whole narrative is flipped upside down because now the presence of God comes to them and goes with them goes with them. In the wake of so much loss, something amazing happens. The Spirit of God rests on them. God will now go with them. The narrative of finding or going to God was flipped upside down. I mean, I don't think we understand the power of this. And then also the reversal of the Tower of Babel, right? Like instead of that selfishness dividing humanity and them spreading apart, this relentless love and God coming to where they are and going with them as they go back to their towns with their people, their nations, their tribes, all of a sudden the Tower of Babel is is reversed and the love of God is binding them together and the presence of God is going with them. Man, it is so important that we know that when when you go home and you pray in your bed at home that the power and presence of God is there with you. It is important that you know when you sit around the dinner table with your children and you talk about the word of God, right? And they listen or they may zone off at times, but you need to know the power and the presence of God is there in that moment with them. You need to know that when you're driving on the way to the office and, and your mind is full of all the busyness and weight and difficulty of what's going on, that the presence of God is there with you. You need to know that the the power of God goes with you. He goes with you into your spheres of, your, of influence where you do life. He goes with you. This is the gift of the counselor. The spirit with you. The spirit with you. I often think um, when I imagine this, of how God takes those moments where it feels like loss. Jesus is gone, 400 years of silence. They've had seasons where the temple has been removed. Um, They've had seasons where the prophets, you know, they couldn't hear, weren't hearing from the Lord, all this. And God just flips the whole story upside down. And what comes to my mind, I don't know if you've ever seen them, the tapestries. I, I love like ancient tapestries. Just Google them. You can check it out. And tapestries are really amazing because if you look at the wrong side of it, where all of the, the, the stitching or the thread goes in, it absolutely, on the backside of it, it looks like chaos. It doesn't make any sense. It appears to have no order. You're not sure what's taking place. But right when the tapestry is finished or when it's put together and you flip it over and you see the right side of it, the front of it, you can see beautiful art. 
And I often believe, right, that God allows us to have little moments in life where he takes that tapestry and flips it over. Now, you might be at a place where all you see is the chaotic thread, a place where it doesn't make any sense. You don't understand why the door is closed. You don't understand why it didn't work out. You don't understand why the loss happened. You don't get it. But you need to know the artist, the actual intentional artist of your life is making something absolutely beautiful. More than that, for us as believers, I mean deep down in our bones, and I think every human wants this, even the atheist or the agnostic, deep in their heart, they really want this. They want to believe that their life is not mere or sheer chaos or random chance. It is not accident, but it is intentional, and it is woven, and it has purpose, and that you're not an accident, and that even the difficulties of the things that do not make sense today in your life, deep down we want to believe that there is some meta purpose taking place, then that is the beautiful message in the word of God is that the author of what appears to be chaos to you is actually making something beautiful. He's actually making something beautiful. What does this mean for us? God is all loving. He is. And he is all good. And he is also all knowing. And he wants to make you into the best version of you. That you cannot merely radiate the glory of God outward, but that you can experience the deep love of God inward. About uh, 15 years ago, I was just going through a kind of a, a dark season in ministry. Um, with work. I mean, so I could even take the pastor side out of this and just say with work. And I, I mean, doubting myself, doubting my role. I mean, I even thinking like, what am I going to do with my life? I was kind of feeling like I should have accomplished a whole lot more than I should have at that time. And I'm not even that old now, but even at that age, it's like, man, God, I've tried so hard to work on projects that just didn't go as far as I thought they were going to. Um, and I just, I was at a season where I just kind of wanted to give up. I wanted to do something different. I wanted to step out of ministry. And I actually applied for a job at a university. And so my thought, I've always kind of loved the university setting. Um, I've had people tell me that they think I would be a good professor. And so I thought about going back, finishing up grad school, and teaching at a university. So I was in the interview process, kind of on my way out of ministry, and uh, at least the frontline pastoral ministry side. And I was going to go teach at a university was my hope. Conversations were going well. Everything was progressing great. We were even looking at homes. You know, how would this all play out? Um, we were brainstorming uh, tactics, things that we could work on once I landed at the university. Everything was moving forward really well. And then all of a sudden, radio silence from the school. I don't know what happened. I don't know if they found somebody else. I don't know if there was like a last minute candidate that they grabbed onto. I called and left messages. They didn't call me back. I mean, even internally, it's like, God, is this a test? Am I supposed to try harder? What am I supposed to do? But no matter how hard I tried to open that door that I thought was really open, no matter how hard I tried to open it, nothing, it wouldn't happen. It wouldn't go forward. I remember just feeling so frustrated. Frustrated with my current workplace, frustrated with my future, frustrated that God wouldn't open the door, frustrated, so frustrated. But little did I know that the door that was closed 
was actually God aiming me into a, a better future. I'd have never become a pastor here. I would have never worked with this team. I would have never been able to mentor the people that I mentored. I, would have, I mean, life has turned out so well. And the beginning journey of this is not at all what I wanted. It's not what I wanted. Loss didn't hold me back. It aimed me. Loss didn't hold me back. It aimed me. My loss, what I thought was loss, did not, when I began to see it flip over and it began to make more sense years, I mean, it was a few years, but as it began to flip over and I began to see the work of God, I began to realize that loss, right, loss did not hold me back. It actually aimed me. You may not understand, say this again, you may not understand the current chapter in your life may not make sense. Why did I lose that job? Why did that door not open? Why? I mean, all the way back to the disciples, man, at this season, the followers of Christ. Why the 400 years of silence? Why the loss of the favor of God? I mean, like Rome's controlling everything. When they had lost access to the temple, why loss of access to the temple? Why is there nothing being spoken through the prophets? Why did Jesus have to leave? Why, 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 why all of this loss? You may not understand the current chapter in your life, but you know how good understanding and loving the author is. You may not understand your current chapter. But don't forget the nature of the author. I want to pause on that for just a moment before we end. Where is Jesus in all of this? Where is Jesus in all of this? Number one, he is writing your story. He is writing your story. You know his nature, his relentless love, that it is his relentless love, his passion, his care, the same love that took him to the cross to die for us, the same love that bore all of those beatings, the same love that was bled out, the same love that was whipped, I mean, unrecognizable almost by the abuse that he had been through, the same love that was betrayed by a close friend, the same love that was betrayed by even an act of affection, right? Judas's kiss, right? The same love that has gone, chose willingly to walk through all of that, to love you, that level of love, that level of passion, that level of commitment, the kind of love and commitment that you wish you would have had when people let you down, the kind of love and commitment that you wish you had in you when you've let people down, that level of love, that level of passion, that level of commitment, that is the person that is writing your story. That's the person that's writing your story. You may not understand your current chapter, but remember the nature of the author. Remember the nature of the author. The second thing I would say is this. When you can't see, when you can't see, trust in the one who can. 
when you can't see, God, I don't know what to do with this marriage. I don't know what to do with these finances. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. It isn't working out. It isn't making sense. You stay faithful. You honor the Lord to the best of your ability. You may not be able to control the outcome, but trust the one who can see. Trust the one who is making it. Because I tell you exactly where Jesus is. Jesus is relentlessly loving you and writing your story. Jesus is relentlessly loving you and writing your story. A couple questions I'd love for you to talk about with your small group, your D group, um, or even talk about with your family when the sermon is done. First question is this, what do you need to trust God with? I just want you to even think about that. What is it that you need to trust God with? And the second question is this, how does one trust in God while they wait? How do you trust in God while you wait? What does it mean? Talk about that. I mean, we can even go back. We talked about this at earlier sermons, right? But have a conversation. What does it mean to wait well on God? Have that conversation. What do you need to trust him with? And what does it look like to wait well on God? I believe, I believe. You may not understand the current chapter, but I believe the one who is writing your story knows you, loves you, and absolutely wants to bring you into the best, fullest, and greatest version of you. Absolutely, what may look like loss is actually an aiming. Trust the author.